Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a casting director at Podium Audio. Stephanie Chikatiello, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Thank you for having me, Rich. Happy to be here. I am so glad you could make it. I believe it was Melissa K. Benson that uh, gave me your contact info and said that she would love to uh, hear you come into the speakeasy and chat for a while. That is right. Shout out to her. It was so nice meeting her in person at um, Johnny Heller's workshop. That was really great and, you know, made great connections. And here we are. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't been to one of Johnny Heller's workshops in um, several years, um, but I know that uh, Melissa really enjoyed meeting you as well. So uh, I'm glad it worked out. It's it's been quite a while. There were a lot of lot of things that came up, and uh, I spent a few months not publishing episodes because I was busy with all kinds of other stuff. Some audiobooks, some non, and uh, and you were busy as well. And so I'm I'm glad that it's finally worked out. Indeed, indeed. Happy to be here. Good, good. So since you are in a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight, Stephanie? Tonight, I have a little bit of Caravella Limoncello. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I have often thought about making my own limoncello, and I haven't done it yet. That's the dream. <laughs> Caravella. Okay, so is that a, a good brand if I end up just buying some? Is that one that I should look for? I don't know particularly, but it's it tastes great. Oh, good. Good. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm going to join you in a drink. I am tonight having a Naked and Famous, uh, which I found recently. And uh, it's another equal parts drink, which I always love because there's so much easier to make. You, you just, you know, pick whether it's three quarters of an ounce or an ounce or an ounce and a half or whatever you want. And uh, and then you, you just go from there. Uh, but this is a good one. It's, uh, it's equal parts mezcal, yellow chartreuse, lime juice, and Aperol. So mm, smoky. Makes, yeah, smoky. And it makes, it's this beautiful orange color. So uh, I, I really like this one. It's fairly new in my lineup, but uh, I've, I've made a few of them already. So, uh, so that's what I am having tonight. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Stephanie. Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers. All right. So my understanding is that you are on the East Coast, but that's not going to last for long. Yes, that's right. I'm very excited. I'll be moving to the Los Angeles area in July, July, August. Yep. And you're still going to be working for Podium? Sure thing. Yeah, they have a small office out there. And so I'm looking forward to being there in the office with of the other team members. That's great. I didn't realize that they had an office. I was under the, I was making the assumption that you were going to be moving, but you were going to be working remotely, but they actually have an office in L.A. They do, yeah. A lot of our team is remote, um, but they have a small office in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. That's great. And so are they downtown or are they someplace else? They're located in El Segundo, which is under the Mm. airport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, So uh, in the meantime, you are still living on the East Coast. Is that where you're from originally? It is. I was born and raised in New Jersey. Jersey girl. um, from New Jersey, for sure. <laughs> and um, my parents are European. My father's from Italy and my mother is Greek. So 
kind of grew up with that first generation vibe in the family, a lot of food, a lot of family, <laughs> a lot of eating. Italian and Greek, those are two of the biggest when it comes to big family meals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of fun. Cool. So uh, so what part of New Jersey? North Jersey. Do you, are you familiar at all? Barely. So uh, Morris County is is the county that I'm in. It's about an hour from New York City. And um, it's pretty good because you kind of get the best of both worlds. You have New Jersey with all of its parking and shopping. <laughs> and then you're close to the city, too, if you want to get out and, and you know, have some fun. That's great. Did you um, spend a lot of time in the city when you were a kid? Was that like a, a big family outing kind of thing? Yeah, I would say so. I had family there and friends there. So, you know, we'd go in on the weekends and, you know, catch up and see what whatever was going on. That's cool. Did you uh, stick around there, go to school out there, do anything else? Well, for school, I went to Philadelphia. Oh, so, so not too far, yeah. but not right next not door either. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah pretty and, close. And what did you do there? There, I went to Drexel University and studied in entertainment and arts management, sort of the business side of the entertainment industry, oh. and studied things like entertainment law, um, sound design, and um, music industry, film industry. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, the 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 entertainment business. There's just so many pieces to it, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of I, I can imagine that it's kind of good and bad. You know, if you go that route, working with creatives, that's great, and it's also difficult sometimes. So um, so that's cool. You did that, and then uh, what did you do with that when you got out of school? Yeah. Well, when I got out of school, I kind of wasn't sure because Drexel has a really great program. I was able to co-op in um, the film industry, the entertainment law industry, and the music industry. And each of those experiences was really wonderful, but I wasn't sure which one was the right one for me. Uh, I had job offers and I just wanted to take some time and think about it before I dived back in. So I moved home and started going to the library very frequently and was listening to a lot of audiobooks at that time, more than ever, and, and reading as well. Um, before, you know, I started thinking about how audiobooks are made and sort of grew an interest there and ended up landing an interview with Common Mode, which is uh, not too far from my family in New Jersey, mm. and started working there doing QC and you know, fell in love with the production process. No kidding. So it was fairly soon out of college then that you pretty much went straight to audiobooks. It was. It was. uh, I guess that's a little bit unique. A lot of people in the industry come together from, you know, I guess there's a lot of musicians and Mm -hmm. journalism majors, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it is. It's not uh, 100% unique, but it is pretty rare. Most of the people that I speak with, whether they're on the production side or the performance side, um, it's usually kind of a, a winding road to where they mm-hmm. end up in audiobooks. There have been a couple of people. It seems to me that Julie Wilson at uh, Penguin Random House was also uh, kind of immediately into audiobooks. Um, but uh, but it is a little bit unusual. Yeah, I got lucky in that way, and um, it's just been a blast ever since. That's cool. Yeah, I, I know of Common Mode. I don't. Um, I haven't spoken with anybody there personally, but um, but I, I am familiar with them. I'd forgotten that they were in New Jersey. Yeah, they're they're really wonderful. I spent uh, a fair amount of time there 
really learning the audiobook production process from the ground up. They have a studio, which I'm coming to you from right now. They were kind enough to um, have me here today since I'm living close by. Oh, that's great. And um, yeah, yeah, they're really great. They're in a perfect location, too, because they can take narrators from the city or from New Jersey since they're so close. Yeah, and we all know there's a lot of narrators in that area. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what all did you do there? So I started doing quality control, which I really enjoyed. It was a great transition sort of coming from what I had been doing, going to the library and reading and listening to audiobooks before that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then kind of just did one thing to the next, whether it was, you know, helping to build the studio, um, learning audio engineering, directing, uh, working with narrator contracts, um, marketing, building the website, um, working with authors. Going all all the way from from the uh, audiobook production stuff to the website. That's uh, that's quite a wide range. That's that's kind of a kind of a plus in in my mind. I was just talking to Jeff Gio recently at Scribe Media, and he had kind of done the same thing at Dion. Kind of wore all the hats at one point or another, and uh, I likened it to when I used to work for a bank. Uh, if you work in a small branch, eventually you have to do everything. Doesn't matter, and that can be a really good thing because you get experience and you get to know the entire process intimately. Oh yeah, I loved it, and especially working under. Um the team that that's here, um, they had been working in audiobooks for around 30 years at that point. So I was oh, wow. learning a lot. Wow. That'll, that'll mm-hmm. bring them back to the early days of audiobooks before, uh, before they were streaming and, and as popular as they are today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did they used to do a lot of, um, physical media tapes and CDs and whatnot? Yes. In the beginning. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I actually remember books on tape. I'm old enough to have listened to some some <laughs> books on tape back when tape was a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard plenty of those stories. Yeah, so uh, so that's great. You did a lot of stuff there. Uh, what what happened after that? So I was here learning, learning, growing, and Common Mode works with you know almost everybody, probably everybody, and um, there was a lot of connections made, and I ended up getting a job offer to be a producer at Hachette, which ended up being an amazing thing because I took everything that I had learned at Common Mode and then applied it to doing end-to-end audiobook production for them. Uh, So that was really fun. Fantastic. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, Hachette, remind me, are they in New York? Yes, they're in New York, near Rockefeller Center. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. So uh, again, you know, you, you, you do everything at some point, and uh, that's a lot of things that you can take to somebody else and say, hey, I've got a lot of experience, and I know the process. I understand the process. So that's cool. Hachette said, come on and work with us. Yes, yes, and that was really great. Yeah. I had great colleagues there and um, really had fun working with authors. Uh, they have studios there, too. So I got a chance to um, continue engineering and directing. It was really fun. Cool. Yeah. Once again, doing all the different pieces. And as a producer, of course, you have to really know what all those pieces are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of moving parts, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how long were you at Hachette? I think it was about two years. Yeah. Two really fast-paced years. Yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah, of work was... going on. When, when was this? Um, I can't tell you the year exactly, but I've been with Podium since January of the quarantine. 
So okay. <laughs> before right. that, I was with Hachette. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's been a year and a half or so with uh, with Podium? Yes. All right. So you went straight from Hachette to Podium then? Yes. And how did that happen? It's really funny story. I I was loving the work and just got reached out to by a recruiter. And um, she pitched this opportunity to be casting science fiction, fantasy, romance full time, which were my favorite genres to cast. And I was just like, is this real? Is this 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 sounds like a dream come true. <laughs> and um, pretty much the rest is history. That's mm-hmm. cool. So so one of the things that you were doing as a producer was casting at Hachette. Yes. Um, well, so real quick before we before we get on to podium, then. So as a producer, tell me, tell me what you did have to do. It's, like you said, a lot of moving parts. What would you do in the course of a single book to go, you know, head to tail? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I like, I like to compare audiobook production to the film industry because coming with a background in film, it was very obvious to me as I was learning the audiobook production process that there's a lot of similarities in terms of pre-production, production, and post-production. Huh. Um, you know, obviously in the film industry, things are are much longer and the timelines could be, you know, span years. Right. And audiobooks are a lot quicker, which was very appealing to me. So, you know, I would say that similar to the movie industry, there's usually a director and an engineer there's people, um, you know, in post-production piecing it together, people in pre-production, you know, reviewing the script and preparing it and casting and all that sort of thing. So anything that would go into, um, you know, a movie or film production, I would say, is the job of the producer to handle. Interesting. I had never thought of it that way, but it uh, it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, so you were doing casting at... Um... At Hachette, but it was one of many things, and uh, this opportunity came up to be a casting director at Podium. Yes, that's that's great. So so you jumped ship. I I assume it was all um, everybody was understanding, and and uh, there were no bad feelings all around for leaving. It was it was tough. I I really bonded with the whole team there. Um, we have a very good we had a very good relationship. I'm still in contact with them. And, you know, it was kind of like a family, but this opportunity was kind of a dream come true. Yeah. And I think we all supported each other. And um, so it was, you know, I, I'm lucky that I've been around such kind people that, you know, we're supporting each other. And coming to Podium has been the best time of my life. That's that's great. I'm I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, it's always if, if you bond that well, it is kind of difficult to leave. But at the same time, you notice opportunities. And I'm sure that everybody there understood that you know, dream come yeah. true indeed. So, so I'm sure they understood as well. So, um, so you started out and it was, uh, science fiction, fantasy and, and romance. Yes. Yep. Great. In so, the fast lane for sure. Yeah. <laughs> hit the science ground. fiction, fantasy, romance in the fast lane. Hit, mm-hmm. hit the ground running. Yep. Well, that's cool. So how is it that those came to be, uh, some of your favorite genres? Well, while I was producing, there was a mix of genres um, because at traditional publishers, you know, they they typically will acquire a wide range of content. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of nonfiction, you know, political books, business books, 
And I just found the ones that I would be very excited about, the ones where I would take the physical hard copy and put it on my desk or, you know, actually like just, you know, want to keep revisiting Mm -hmm. um, were were the fiction titles, you know, the space operas or like an orbit title, you know, a video game influence book, um, like the League of Legends. Um, So those were always the most fun for me and the ones that, you know, I was super excited about and would go home and tell my family and friends. Um, So I am really lucky now to be doing that all the time. <laughs> that, that's cool. Um, is Was that something new or when you were a kid, did you like to read science fiction? Hmm. I did read mostly general fiction. And then I would say after college is really when I got into reading a lot mm-hmm. because I had that I had that year where I was just reading anything and everything. So, and of course, the more you're involved in publishing, the more you're exposed to. So I would say it's something that developed over the years. Hmm. And in terms from a casting perspective, um, it's just really fun to be working with talent who can bring those stories to life. Um, They often involve multiple voices, multiple languages, and it's it's a lot of fun to, to find talent and work with them and then hear the final product is really rewarding. That's that's cool. It's it's interesting that that sort of developed over time. Um, so when you move in the near future from the East Coast to the West Coast, um, you're still going to be with Podium. Are you still going to be doing exactly the same job, or is that going to change slightly with a change in location? Yeah, I'll still be casting full time. And and it'll still be mostly the the same types of titles. Yes. So on our team. There are three women of casting, um, including myself. And when acquisitions brings in titles, they get assigned at random. So each of us are working on all the genres that we publish, and which keeps it really exciting because day to day we kind of, you know, are are looking forward to seeing what's going to be on our plate. And so we're all casting together. You know, it could be anything that comes up. It could be sci-fi one day romance the next. It's not really pre-planned or assigned. Yeah, We're could, all doing everything. That, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So um, is, I'm, I'm curious about the, I mean, I think everybody's curious about the casting process. So with three people doing casting, are you guys like in constant contact? Do you, do you all sit near <laughs> each other and it's like you're constantly talking? Yes. We work very closely together. Um, they're wonderful. We get along really well. They're so smart, and we all sort of have different backgrounds in terms of casting. So we're definitely always mind-melding, brainstorming <laughs> together, you know, hunting down talent, um, introducing each other to new talent. It's really, really fun. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's only one piece of the, of the entire production. Um, take, take me through a, a casting since, uh, since you've been doing it for quite some time now, including when you were doing all the different jobs, um, what'll, what'll happen and, and how will you go through the, the process to actually cast someone? Sure. Um, so I'll log into work in the morning and I'll look at my casting doc and I'll see titles that are there assigned to me to be cast. So what typically the first thing I would do is look at the genre look at the author, and then research the author. 
then I will look at the script and try to read it, uh, figure out who the main characters are, where the setting is, um, you know, see if there's any background information on the story that is important, um, try to figure out what accents are needed, what type of characters there are, you know, and then, you know, after everything comes together and there's a plan, and I might think of somebody at the top of my mind as like a first step. A second step would be to research for talent that would be a fit for the project. And a third step would be to look at, you know, who we've worked with before or who is up and coming on Audible publishing titles that maybe I'm not familiar with um, that would be a good match for the project. So that that's that's a great start. Um, I'm I'm curious about the first thing that you said. So you researched the author. Um, what what information do you get from that that is helpful in casting? It's really good to see um, what an author has historically written, who their fans are, and you know what their what their background is, what they're writing about, why they're writing about it, where they're publishing, if they have an ebook that's already out. And that sort of thing can really be helpful in understanding the whole scope of the project mm-hmm. and and the direction that it should be headed in. That's cool. That's um, I because I've done that as a narrator. I, I've thought, who is this person? You know, whose whose words I'm reading, and I'll look them up. And and every once in a while, there's this little thing that pops up. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, that makes this piece of the book make more sense. It sounds kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that that's cool. So, um, so typically, you get something in, you read it, you've gone through all those steps. Somebody comes to your mind. Is it typical that that you just say, "Okay, I'm going to call Bob," because, or I'm going to send an email to Bob because Bob sounds like exactly what this story needs, mm-hmm. and just go straight to Bob and see if he can do it, or do you normally do auditions? That's a great question. The way that I've been doing it is if it's somebody I'm familiar with, I understand their repertoire, I know their work history on Audible, then I can just go to them and and have confidence. Um, If it's somebody that I haven't worked with before or it's an extra challenging project, I might ask for an audition just to make sure it's a match on both ends. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. Um, what about, do, do you frequently send an audition to multiple narrators or is it typically, well, I'm going to go to this person and see if they can do it, whether it's an audition situation or not, I'm just going to go to this one person or mm-hmm. is it, is it more like, well, yeah, I'm not sure. So maybe we'll try these five people and see how they sound. I try to be thoughtful. So if I'm asking a narrator for a custom audition, the chances that they are like being considered is is pretty high. Mm-hmm. There are some scenarios where I might ask more than one narrator for an audition in a case where maybe in the contract an author has narrator approval, for example, and they've requested to hear a few options, like one or two options. So then I would ask both narrators to make a submission so that there can be a determination made. So that's an interesting situation too. How often does that happen? Is is that more common or less common that an author has narrator approval rights? It happens here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's not? 
you know, if I have a, a particular narrator in my mind who I think is just the perfect fit for a project and I submit them with another name to the author so that the author has a choice of two and they go with the other one, of course, I'm very excited for the narrator that's chosen. But, you know, if, if I had made the decision myself, I might have gone with the other one. Yeah. So there's there's situations like that that can come up. Are, are your interactions with authors generally pretty positive? I mean, no names, no specifics. I'm, I'm just curious how often it happens that oh, yeah. the, the author is involved and that ends up being kind of a train wreck. Oh, no, they're great. We're oh, really lucky. The authors that we work with are really wonderful. They're super passionate. Um, I, I don't know. We're just lucky. The authors we work with are really wonderful. They're They're always excited and you know, it's, it's, it's great working with them. Working with authors is one of, you know, my favorite parts of the process too. It always has been whether, you know, anywhere in my audiobook career, working with authors is always special. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, as, as somebody who came up through the, the ACX ranks, like, like a lot of narrators, you know, they've done books, uh, on their own, not going through a publisher. And, uh, every once in a while you get somebody who's super hard to, hard to work with. Um, I suspect that at the publisher level, there are so many differences that it's it's really hard to compare the two. But it's really good to hear that, for the most part, you have just great experiences working with the authors. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We're really lucky. We have very, very creative, wonderful authors. Do they also have uh, typically input during the process? Typically, the authors that are involved, they might have approval or consideration during the casting process. And other than that, I'm not too much in the loop. Mm. So typically, typically not. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good to hear. Um, it's, it's, it's great to hear that it's such a collaborative process. Uh, I'm not too surprised to hear it cause I've, I've heard that from other people as well, that, uh, that, at, at that level, it's uh, it's generally a good thing working with authors. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you do much work with authors narrating their own works? I did a lot of that before Podium. Um, it was it, that that's like one of the best things to see an author in the studio uh, narrating and lending their voice to their text. At Podium, because we work with a lot of fiction, it's not the most common. But I can say that a wonderful project I've recently worked on was with the Dresden Files, and it's going to be coming out this summer. And it is the first time that author Jim Butcher will be voicing a full audiobook of the Dresden Files. So that was a really wonderful project to work on and a great opportunity. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, so Podium casts all kinds of different stuff. Um, tell me a little bit about what your casting team is uh, is seeing right now. Yeah, that's a great question. We are seeing a lot of expansion into the romance genre. And of course, we are continuing in fantasy and science fiction and all of those fun genres and the subgenres within them. And recently, on average, we've been casting about 200 projects per month. And in addition to that, on average, we seem to have been onboarding about uh, between 20 and 40 new narrators per quarter, which isn't necessarily intentional, but we that's what we have been doing. So I think that's a good sign for talent out there. 
um, that we are expanding and we are growing and we're always looking for new voices and new people to, to work with. That's fantastic. I'm sure that a lot of my listeners will be happy to hear that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And 200 titles a month, that's, um, that's pretty good. Are you, um, do, you, do you know how much of an increase that is over time? Well, I can tell you that last year we published about 870 titles. And this year we're on track to publish 1,200. Wow, yeah, that's uh, that's quite a bit. But also, when I joined Podium, it was about 10 employees, and now it's almost 30, so. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's another good stat that, that mm-hmm. really indicates how things have been going. I know that the APA just came out with the latest um, survey information, which, once again, double-digit growth last year. Uh, sounds like mm-hmm. Podium is definitely part of that. Yeah, I can share that as of this month of of this recording, Podium is actually the fastest growing audiobook publisher in the world. Wow, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, very fun. Very fun to be a part of. Yeah, no doubt. So, so then after the, the casting process, so you go through and you identify one or maybe a few narrators and you may or may not have them audition. Is, is that it for you as a casting director or do you still have uh, interaction with, the, with, the, with any one specific project after the narrator has been cast? After the narrator's cast... I'll work with them on scheduling recording dates, and then I'll pass it off to the project's producer to take it from there. Got it. So a little bit of production there, but but mostly it's just the casting. Yes. And there's some you know other things that we do too, um, being a part of Podium, different projects we're working on. But you know, as far as casting and the production process, we're really, you know, talking to them about dates sure. and coordinating yeah. with multicast dual partners mm, to, right. to figure out how to align their schedules and all that sort of thing is worked out before we pass it on to the producer. And since that is so common now, dual and duet narration is becoming, well, I think duet, I think that dual is pretty much the standard at this point for romance and uh, duet is also getting a lot of traction. I'm sure that there's a lot of that coordination going on. Um, and, and I know that that's the way it is in all the performing arts. I remember my theater days, I asked somebody at one point, but I thought so-and-so was going to be in this role and they said, oh, they couldn't make it. Oh, well, boy, were you upset? And they're all, no, happens all the time. Um, you know, something comes up and schedules change and they're not able to do it. So I'm sure that working, working with narrators and finding the right time frame um, can be a little challenging, but probably usually works out well. Yeah, it it can be a bit challenging, but we usually are pretty flexible and and try to make it work for everybody. How often do you have situations where uh, they're they're trying to do a uh, what's the word where where they release the the book and the audiobook at the same time as opposed mm-hmm. to oh here's this book that was published 6 months ago and now we're mm-hmm. casting so we've got a little more flexibility. That's a really great question. Coming from traditional publishing where we were always publishing the audio edition with the physical copy at Podium, it's not always that way, but we're moving in that direction now that we are working with ebooks more and we have an editorial team that is what they're called SimPubs. 
And so the oh, ebook will publish right, right, right. at the same time as the audiobook. So we're getting them a little bit more here and there. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see if that that ends up, uh, you know, ramping up even more and happen even more often than it does now. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so I assume that you've worked with over the course of your career at uh, Hachette, Podium, uh, Common Mode. I, I assume that uh, you've worked with hundreds, if not thousands of narrators. I've never counted. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know the amount, but. You know, I, I don't know. I can't guess. <laughs> but it's a lot. So so you have uh, you've worked with a lot of different people, a lot of different styles. Uh, anything strike you as uh, something that works particularly well when you're working with a narrator? I'm, I'm really kind of kind of thinking about my listeners to this podcast. They're they're always interested in finding out what works best when they are working with people on on your side of the equation. And so I'm just wondering, uh, what, what is it that, that has and hasn't worked as you've been dealing with narrators? In terms of communication? Yeah. Communication, um, attitude, uh, any, anything at all in terms of, you know, somebody is interested in working with podium. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, uh, what, what should they do and, and what should they avoid doing when they're reaching out or if you have contacted them and are asking about availability or anything like that? Sure. Um, if there's a narrator who's interested in working with Podium, they can definitely send us an email. There's an email on our website, or if you have a friend who's worked with us previously and they have, uh, one of our emails, you can send an email and introduce yourself. <laughs> And we can sort of go from there. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm just thinking about as you're communicating with them, uh, if, if there's anything that would make you think, oh, yeah, that's probably going to be more trouble than it's worth. Well, if a narrator reaches out and right off the bat they're able to list their home studio specs, the na- like the genres that they've worked in, what genres of podiums they are interested in, and that sort of thing, I would say that's a really good sign. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, because uh, I know that a lot of people, myself included, um, not not so much anymore, but um, early on, it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to these people. I don't really know them, and so um, that's that that's good information. You know, you're you're interested in hearing what people have done in their voice. Yeah. Basically, if a narrator reaches out and they're aunt like answering the questions that I would be asking, which are typically, you know, what is your studio situation? What are your top accents? What genres have you worked in? What um, projects at Podium interest you? These are sorts of things that are very helpful to know. So if a narrator reaches out and they're already answering those questions in the initial email, then that's a really great sign. That's good. That's that's very good to know. Um, so aside from reaching out in that way, uh, if somebody wanted to work with Podium, uh, does Podium have social media accounts that people should follow? Is there is there anything else that somebody should do uh, if they're interested in working with Podium? We do have social media accounts uh, that are very active, so that's a good thing to follow because then if you do reach out as a narrator, you're familiar with what we're putting out. And since we do specialize in science fiction, fantasy, romance, you can sort of get an idea of what we're putting out. 
And then if you email me or somebody on our team and say, hey, I saw you put you published this, I would love to be considered for similar types of projects, or I think my voice is a good match. That's a that's a great place to start. Cool. Yeah, good to know. All right. Well, um, so aside from packing, what do you do when you're not not uh, not casting <laughs> audiobooks? I, I'm sure that the recent past you've had your hands full, but, uh, <laughs> but what what do you do when you're not uh, not actually working in the in the industry? So I've I've danced my whole life, and after college, I transitioned from doing traditional ballet to ballroom dance. Oh, wow. And have been sort of dabbling in that ever since. And also salsa as well, but salsa is more social than ballroom. So they're different, different vibes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's really fun. I have friends that I'll go out with to a salsa night. And um, that's, that's fun for me. That's cool. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite ballroom style? Oh, wow. <laughs> too hard, um, too hard to say because they're all fun for different reasons, right? Yeah. Well, I think that I like the Viennese waltz the best. No if kidding. I were to pick, yeah, I think I think that's fun. Or a foxtrot. Foxtrots are are really fun. Yeah, I would say one of those too. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember the the very little bit of ballroom dance that I did. Foxtrot's <laughs> a pretty active dance, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I the songs to, are usually upbeat. I seem to remember that one and thinking it was pretty difficult. I, I never studied, but my wife and I, uh, b- right before we got married, so that we would be prepared for the big day, we uh, we took a lesson or, or three. I don't really remember. Uh-huh. but um, and, and it was fun. I actually really enjoyed it. And we tried several different styles, and I can't even remember what we, uh, <laughs> what we decided upon for the wedding. But um, yeah. but it but it was a lot of fun. So that's that's very cool. That is one that I have not heard lately. Um, yeah. some, somebody who's really interested in that. That's very cool. And now that I'm thinking about it more, I forgot about tango. I think tango is up there too. Mm. Um, yeah, I would say a word of advice for people who are considering learning a dance for their wedding. A lot of them go to the studio and sign a package to do that much later than they should. Yeah. So if you're if you think you might ever consider that in the next 2 years, go as early as you can. Go now, yeah. So that yeah, you can get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally totally believe that. I I don't remember the exact experience. I think we actually did okay and I think that knowing both my wife and I, I'm pretty sure that we did go pretty darn early. Um and uh, and it was helpful and it was fun. We had a uh, for our wedding we had a like a fourteen piece old style big band kind of thing. Wow! And uh, they were fantastic. It was so much fun. Everybody loved the music. A lot of people stayed a lot later than a lot of people stay at weddings. That's a good sign. <laughs> it was yeah. They loved the music uh, and because I love swing. I love old old style Glenn Miller mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, so we had a lot of fun. I I really don't remember. How far in advance we did it, but knowing the two of us, it was pretty far in advance. That's the way. So, yeah, good advice. Good advice. Well, that's cool. So, aside from uh, you know making sure that you're upfront about uh, what you've done and what you have, uh, any other words of wisdom for aspiring narrators out there? Hmm. I just would say thank you because the narrators out there who are sitting in their booths, studying their accents, reading the books, 
giving justice to the stories and the characters, they're making my job easier and their job I can't even imagine doing because there's a lot that goes into it. So I would just say thank you for all the work that everyone is doing because it's a it's a great job. It's a rewarding job, but it's it's a serious job. It's a lot of hard work. And everybody that I cast, I really appreciate them taking the time to do what they do because they are bringing their wonderful talent to these books and these characters and just making them come off the page. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. That that was lovely. Uh, as as a narrator, I I so appreciate hearing that. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure that uh, that that is true for all audiobook producers out there. That uh, you know, when you have narrators who take it seriously and do the right things and uh, and understand that their part is is crucial, that they appreciate that. But hearing that is uh, is really lovely. So thanks for that. Sure thing. I mean it. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephanie, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming into the audiobook speakeasy. Thank you for having me, Rich. This was really fun. I hope the uh, limoncello was good. Yes, it is. I, I recommend it. <laughs> cool. I, I will definitely look for that one. Uh, and I will think a little bit harder about making my own and see how it comes out. I've made a few other liqueurs. Some turned out great, some not so much, so uh, so we'll see. But I will definitely try that. In the meantime, big fan of The Naked and Famous, so if you like mezcal or or um, smoky things in general, um, it's, it, it's a winner. <laughs> so, Stephanie, where can people find you if they want to look you up online? Uh, social media? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, and also you can reach out to Podium and connect with me there as well. All right. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Rich. Cheers. Have a good night. Thanks, and good luck with the move. Thank you, Rich. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Stephanie Cicatiello for coming in. I always enjoy hearing from casting directors in this industry, and this was no exception. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Special thanks this week to Tad Davis. After leaving a very kind review on Apple Podcasts earlier this year, Tad recently became a wine-level patron on Patreon. Thank you so much, Tad. Your financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!